Peace to you. Welcome back to The Naked Truth, and thank you for joining me. It's a weekday. We're going to pick up where we left off with the book of Second Chronicles. We are almost through with it. We're at chapter 30, if you want to read along with me. Let's begin with verse 1. And Hezekiah sent all Israel and Judah and wrote letters also to Ephraim and Manasseh, that they should come to the house of the Lord at Jerusalem and keep the Passover unto the Lord God of Israel. So as always, please forgive me if I mispronounce any of these. Um, so, but what's happening is basically a holiday is being declared by the king and that everyone is to observe it. Um, that's who Hezekiah is. He's the king. Uh, Judah is the kingdom. Uh, Israel is a separate kingdom, but he's saying all Israel. So that means both tribe, both kingdoms, all the tribes are to be uh, reunited to celebrate. Sort of like a come to Jesus moment, but this is before Jesus's ministry. Verse two, for the king had taken counsel and his princes and all the congregation in Jerusalem to keep the Passover in the second month. So um, the king has decided the time for the people to keep this holiday, the Passover, is in the second month rather than the first month. If I remember right, it's supposed to be the first month, but <clears throat> excuse me, um, there are um, more than one date allowed for it, even when it's first laid out for like people who miss it or away, that they're allowed to celebrate it at separate times. So it's not that big a deal to see here that it's at another time or at a certain time. This is when they're to keep it. Passover, just in case you forgot when we read about it in the book of Exodus, covers it, the second book in the Bible, about the emancipation of the Israelites from enslavement in Africa. Um, verse 2, for the king had taken counsel and his princes and all the congregation in Jerusalem to to keep the Passover in the second month. Okay, so we read that, sorry. Verse three, for they could not keep it at that time because the priests had not sanctified themselves sufficiently neither had the people gathered themselves together to Jerusalem. So that sanctification is part of what we talked about before. There's different things that you have to do to ritually cleanse, cleanse yourself if you become ritually unclean. And usually it revolves around sexual things like um, having sex with somebody, having sex with yourself, um, those sorts of things. But other things also can make you uh, unclean for the ritual so that you have to go through a ritual to get clean before you can take part in the other ritual, uh, which is the Passover, which is the commemoration of the emancipation. Verse 4, and the thing pleased the king and all the congregation. So, um, deciding to set up a date have, and celebrate the Passover like they're supposed to be doing all along anyway um, is pleasing to the king. It's kind of what he wanted. And so they're moving ahead with it. <clears throat> Excuse me. Verse 5, so they established a decree to make proclamation throughout all Israel from Beersheba, even to Dan, that they should come and keep the Passover unto the Lord God of Israel at Jerusalem, for they had not done it um, of a long time in such sort as it was written. So on um, the narrator here, um, named of the book of Second Chronicles, is letting us know that um, the people have not been faithful in keeping the holiday. Like I said, it was 
already laid out that they were supposed to be doing this anyway. Um, and they just haven't been. But now they're doing it sort of like, so begin again right now. And um, they're going to um, keep the holiday. Verse 6. So the post went with, <clears throat> excuse me, so the post went with the letters from the king and his princes throughout all Israel and Judah. And according to the commandment of the king, saying, Ye children of Israel, turn again unto the Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, and he will return to the remnant of you that are escaped out of the hand of the kings of Assyria. So what's uh, being said there is the people are being admonished to sort of like a preacher would tell you to come to Jesus, to repent and turn back, to uh, realize that you're wrong and amend your ways. It's the same sort of thing um, that the, um, they're being told here that they're having a chance to look at their actions, see where they've gotten them, and turn from them and start anew, repent and change. Um, and he's saying here about the remnant of them that have escaped because um, the kings of Assyria, not just one, but successive kings and kingdoms of the Assyrians took them captive again and again and again, carried them away, away from their own homeland captive. Um, so uh, they're well aware of what's happening and how their kingdom has been diminished by their enemies. Verse seven, and be not like, and be ye not, and be not ye like your fathers, and like your brethren, which trespassed against the Lord God of their fathers, who therefore gave them up to desolation, as ye see. So um, the people are being uh, warned to not be hard-headed and stubborn like their forefathers were in being um, obstinate and opposing God. They're being told to turn and be faithful, repent, and have a change of heart and do right to do better um they're being given a chance to is what they're being told um and they're being told to look around <laughs> they can look around and see what the cause of being unfaithful is verse eight now be not stiff-necked as your fathers were but yield yourselves unto the lord and enter into his sanctuary which he'd sanctified forever and serve the Lord your God, that the fierceness of his wrath may turn away from you. <clears throat> Excuse me. So here's where it becomes in, uh, just an example of where it's important to note and separate the red letters, the things Jesus says from the rest of the Bible. If, you, if you're a person who dumps the Bible and believes everything that's in it from Genesis to Revelation is inspired by God and it must be true, then what do you say about what was just said in verse 8? Because clearly that's not true. The sanctuary is not forever, was not forever. It was destroyed not once, but twice, and hasn't been rebuilt yet. And it's been nearly 2,000 years since then. So I guess people can just say, oh, well, it's still going to be built. As last I saw with the bombs being dropped over there, I don't think they're concerned with building another temple anytime soon. The people who live there now are not necessarily fans of Jesus. So I really don't understand how the evangelicals in America cheer on the craziness of the destruction. But, you know, 
I guess, be more people. Verse 9. For if ye turn again unto the Lord, your brethren and your children shall find compassion before them that lead them captive, so that they shall come again into this land. For the Lord your God is gracious and merciful, and will not turn away his face from you, if ye return unto him. So the people are being warned and even sort of encouraged to turn back, to find faithfulness, to find righteousness again, and that God is ready and willing and able to take them back, not ready and waiting to strike out at them and pay them back and whoop them for being hard-headed and stiff-necked, but instead ready to embrace them, just like human parents would, I suppose, when their parent, when their kids F up, and when we mess up, and parents still love us, forgive us, take us back. But, you know, there are limits. Um, hopefully not with God, but we've, if, you, if you believe the old, what we're reading so far and the books we've read so far is God, then we can't say that God is like that. God and, the God in the Old Testament that we've read so far is extremely humanistic, very temperamental. And sometimes it seems, just in my opinion, just from the way it reads, maybe not how it actually was, extremely petty from the way it reads and short-sighted from the way it reads, the way it reads as far as overlooking some things that seem horrific um, that I certainly wouldn't want done to me. Um, and I can't imagine anyone who would want them done to them, but you know, people are crazy, um, getting completely overlooked. Whereas other things get nitpicked, it seems like, like burning in the wrong person, burning incense, or trying to save the covenant, the Ark of the Covenant from falling over, those people paying with their lives for doing the wrong thing. I don't know. Verse 10. So the post passed from city to city throughout through the country of Ephraim and Manasseh, even on Zebulun. But they laughed them to scorn and mocked them. So I guess when it says the post, it's like the post office, it's like the mail, it's like posting it, it's like putting it out there a notification that uh, of decree that uh, this is what the king wants you to do but clearly the people weren't pressed on it it says they laughed and scorned so they gave them the rah-rahs and laughed them out of town when they showed up with the decrees to show up for the king's party i guess they're not pressed on that what he thinks of as righteousness is not on their radar verse 11 Nevertheless, divers of Asher and Manasseh and of Zebulun humbled themselves and came to Jerusalem. So it's when it says diverse, it's like diverse, it means diverse. So saying uh, a sprinkling, an assortment of people from those tribes, the tribes of Asher, the, tribe, the tribes of Asher and Manasseh, those other two more of the 12 tribes. And it says, and also of Zebulun, so three of the tribes, as they're called, had people show up from them, sort of, to represent, I guess, and um, went to Jerusalem, the, the spot where the king ordered the people to be gathered together. Verse 12, also in Judah, the hand of God was to give them one heart to do the commandment of the king and of the princes by the word of the Lord. So um, narrator here is saying that God moved the people of Judah, that tribe also, to uh, obey the king and show up for the celebration. 
verse 13, and they assembled at Jerusalem much people to keep the, pe the feast of unleavened bread in the second month of very great congregation. So a huge crowd showed up, even though it seemed like it wasn't going to turn out that way. Verse 14, and they arose, oh, before we move on, as far as the Feast of Unleavened Bread, that goes back to the Passover celebration as part of that. They made unleavened bread because there wasn't time to flee when they were set free, when they were emancipated. There wasn't time to let the bread rise like you might raise a loaf of bread uh, now. So they made basically flat bread, pita bread, like that sort of bread and han and uh, kept it moving and went to freedom. Verse 13, so that's what the Passover is about. I'm sorry, that's what the Feast of Unleavened Bread is about. Verse 14, and they arose and took away the altars that were in Jerusalem, that were in, uh, and all the altars for incense took they away and cast them into the brook Kedron. So that poor brook, it must be filled with pollution by now, because we see again and again and again when they overturn the altars, when they tear down this or throw down that place of worship, they throw all the garbage right there into the brook where the brook Kidron is, where I assume there's running water. I also presume assume it must be running water away from the city, not into the city. Otherwise, it just doesn't make sense for them to constantly throw all their garbage right there in the brook, especially when they turn around and do the same things again. Verse 15, then they killed the Passover on the 14th day of the second month, and the priests and the Levites were ashamed and sanctified themselves and brought in the burnt offerings into the house of the Lord. So when it says the priests and the Levites, those are the people who are supposed to be doing these sort of religious um, duties, the, whether it's the animal sacrifices or the other sacrifices, they're the ones that are supposed to be officiating over all this stuff with the incense, with the animals, with the slaughtering, with the butchering, all of that stuff. So they're saying they're ashamed, presumably because they didn't bother to ritualistically cleanse themselves. Maybe they jacked off. Maybe they had sex. Uh, maybe they did something that they weren't supposed to be doing that made them unclean. So if you're unclean, you're not allowed to do any of those things. So maybe that's why they were ashamed. How anybody would know that except them and God, I don't know. I guess if they're not doing their duties, then people will know you're unclean, huh? Verse 15, then they killed the Passover on the 14th day of the second month. And the priests and the Levites were ashamed and sanctified. Did we read that? Sorry. Verse 16, and they stood in their place after their mass manner. According to the law of Moses, the man of God, the priests sprinkled the blood which they received of the hand of the Levites. So this is the blood ceremonies that they do with sprinkling blood on the altars and stuff when they make the animal sacrifices. It seems like it'd be pretty um, toxic, especially given what we know in modern times. But maybe that's why diseases and things spread back then too. The different plagues that broke out again and again that were attributed to this, that, and the other might have just been all of these blood ceremonies. Maybe, but maybe other things. Verse, <clears throat> excuse me, 16. And they stood in their place. Oh, read that one. Verse 17. 
where there were many in the congregation that were not sanctified. Therefore, the Levites had the charge of the killing of the Passovers for everyone that was not clean to sanctify them unto the Lord. So again, those animal sacrifices to pay for the sins of humans. Um, and some sometimes the animals are killed and then burnt completely. And sometimes they're barbecued and eaten. Verse 18, for a multitude of the people, even many from Eph, many of Ephraim and Manasseh, Issachar and Zebulun had not cleansed themselves yet. Did they eat the Passover? Otherwise, then it was written. Wait, let's say that again. Yet they did. Yet did they eat the Passover? Otherwise, then it was written. Hezekiah prayed for them, saying, "The good Lord pardon everyone." So, sort of a blanket prayer for everyone's filthiness. The fact that the people didn't bother to ritualistically cleanse themselves, which truly just boils down to religion. It's the same thing of dogma of religion in modern times that burdens people down, scares people away from God, from seeking righteousness, from seeking godliness, because people conflate the two. They tie all of that religion into righteousness and reject both. They throw the baby out with the bathwater, which is, I think, a huge mistake. Um, just my opinion. Keep it moving. He's praying for them that even though they're not ritualistically clean, God will overlook it. That the fact that they're, at least they're trying to be righteous, at least they're trying to do the right thing. Um, which I don't know. Well, does that count? We've read before where people were trying to do the right thing before and it cost them their lives. Like I said, the one who stopped the uh, ark from tumbling over, at least he thought it was going to, and reached out his hand to stop it when the uh, ox carrying it stumbled, cost him his life instantly. You know, we've seen rapes go without a word happening. I don't know. Slavery happens and people get emancipated from slavery then told it's okay to enslave other people. And we're expected to believe all of that is God and God is impartial. Those things just are not in agreement. They're just not. Verse 19, that prepareth his heart to seek God, the Lord God of his fathers, though he be not cleansed according to the purification of the sanctuary. So the prayer that he's praying for the people is that even though they're not up to stuff as far as the ritual, God that God will overlook it and give them points for at least trying. Verse 20, and the Lord hearkened to Hezekiah and healed the people. So narrator is saying that God listened to Hezekiah's prayer and healed the people. And the healing would be cleansing them from their ritualistic uncleanliness, um, pardoning their sin, because it would be considered sin for them to be, <clears throat> excuse me, taking part in the Passover if they're unclean, which we just read they are, excuse me. Verse 21, and the children of Israel that were present at Jerusalem kept the feast of unleavened bread seven days with great gladness. And the Levites and the priests praised the Lord day by day, singing with loud instruments unto the Lord. So they're having a celebration, praising God, keeping the Passover. Verse 22, and Hezekiah spake 
comfortably unto all the Levites that taught the good knowledge of the Lord. And they did eat throughout the feast seven days, offering peace offerings and making confession to the Lord God of their fathers. So the Levites, the branch of the tribes chosen specifically to handle the religious duties, is also making their offerings because, like I said, they weren't necessarily clean either to be handling the duties because even to, handle, to do the duties, they're supposed to be ritualistically clean and they weren't. <clears throat> Excuse me. Verse 23. And the whole assembly took counsel to keep other seven days and they kept other seven days with gladness. So I think what it's saying, seven more days. So not just the regular seven days, but two weeks all together they're celebrating. Verse 24. For Hezekiah, king of Judah, did give to the congregation a thousand bullocks and seven thousand sheep. And the princes gave to the congregation a thousand bullocks and ten thousand sheep. And a great number of priests sanctified themselves. So I can't believe they're just slaughtering all those animals and killing them and eating them or just killing them and burning them to a crisp. So most likely all they're giving, I don't know, maybe it's idealistic to think that it would be a redistribution of wealth that they do it and redistribute all of these animals so that the congregation could have flocks of livestock and overcome poverty. But it sounds more like they're donating all of these animals to the religion. And the religion will surely collect them, but I doubt that they kill them all. Because remember, many of the priests are fat, full, and rich because of all the donations that people are constantly giving. So maybe they burnt them all to ashes. Maybe they didn't. Verse 25, and all the congregation of Judah with the priests and the Levites and all the congregation that came out of Israel and the strangers that came out of the land of Israel and that dwelt in Judah rejoiced. So everybody's praising God happy and um, fat and happy because, you know, it's a big barbecue going on. Verse 26, so there was great joy in Jerusalem. For since the time of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel, there was not the like in Jerusalem. So um, since the time of the forefathers, David and his son Solomon, um, they hadn't had this sort of celebration. And I don't say the barbecue thing disrespectfully. Who doesn't love barbecue? It's an ancient way of cooking. Um, and in their case, it, it seems like truly, they're not just killing the animals and roasting them in ashes. They're eating them and sharing them with the whole congregation sometimes, sometimes not. Verse 27, um, then the priests, the Levites arose and blessed the people and their voice was heard and their prayer came up to his holy dwelling place, even unto heaven. So the narrator here is also letting us know that their praise has reached God's ears in heaven. How the narrator knows that, I'm not sure. Maybe God let the narrator know. Maybe God reacted in that moment. Maybe it'll show up in the next chapter because it's not in this chapter because that's the last verse in this chapter. So, you know what that means. That's where we'll end this reading. As always, thank you for reading along with me. I hope the naked truth is a blessing for you and that you'll join me again. Love you. See you next time. Peace be with you.